Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using the unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome my cosmic friend, Mia Yakel. Mia is a good friend of mine, and I'm actually sitting right here with her in her living room in Atlanta, Georgia. Mia works from home with her very successful healing business that she runs all online as a yoga teacher, a Reiki healer, Ayurveda and nutritional coach, a spiritual coach, and an intuitive reader. She helps her clients with guidance through their own understanding of their spirituality. Me and I have a pretty awesome conversation with everything from twin flame, past life karma, to raising our energetic vibration, to bringing the mate and the people into our life that we most want, as well as the exploration of plant medicine and moving into our highest level of evolution, which is the reason why we came into this planet. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hello, Mia. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) So Mia and I are together right now in her lovely living room in Atlanta, Georgia, with her very sweet dog beside us, Clementine. (laughs) It's a lovely setting on this fall day. Lots of leaves on the ground outside, kind of cloudy. And you've lived here for how long in Atlanta? I would have did Atlanta for about 10 years now. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And where were you before that? Uh, I was, I grew up in North Carolina and then I went to Germany for a year and then I moved here after. Oh, awesome. So Mia, you are a yoga teacher, a Reiki healer, Ayurveda. Ayurveda. <laughs> and nutrition coach. Yeah. Spiritual coach. And you do intuitive readings. So tell us a little bit about your work and how it came to be, how you came into these this field. Yeah, so pretty much everything I do is obviously through a healing lens. There's just different modalities I use based off of, honestly, whatever the client is most comfortable with. Some people already have like a yoga background, so that feels like a safe entry for them if they aren't really sure what Reiki is. For other people that are really spiritual and already like tarot and Reiki and astrology readings, then um, I find those methods to be pretty direct. So I'll use that modality for them. But basically everything has to do with taking a look at sort of what is the biggest pain points people have and then ways to be able to resolve that while also looking at what's going on energetically. So it's like kind of being able to notice the difference between what we're projecting, which we don't always know that, and then what energy is actually going on. And I got into it mostly because, well, the yoga helped me in my own healing journey. Actually, a lot of these things did, but I decided to become a healer myself because there's someone I cared about a lot that I really wanted to be able to help them. So once I started learning a couple of modalities, it became very addicting. It felt very much like a remembering process um, because it all came very naturally after that. And what drew you to sort of more natural healing, seeking out an approach that was more sort of spiritual and holistic based and as opposed to, you know, seeking out medical care, like a 
professional doctor or something, what drew you to be able to have these offerings? Yeah, that's a good question. So I never really resonated with like traditional medicine anyways. Like I don't have anything against it. I think that if it works, that's, that's great. It just didn't really work for me. And I was always really turned off by like the clinical approach and hospitals and things like that. But I struggled with depression on and off for a really long time. And I was put on antidepressants that didn't do anything for me. And I started doing yoga with my mom when I was 15. And that was the first thing that kind of helps me get in touch with myself again. So it just seems to me like if there's a natural way to do it, I would always prefer that over jumping to a uh, Western medicine approach. So you said that yoga kind of got you started on this. Before that, did you grow up in a spiritual family? Did you grow up with that sort of interest in things sort of esoteric or a call to, you know, energy healing or anything like that? No, that was my first introduction. I had a pretty good childhood, but definitely there's a lot of religious trauma in our family. So it wasn't even until an adult that I realized there was a difference between religion and spirituality. And that was definitely emphasized growing up in the Bible belt. It was just like, everybody was Christian or Catholic. And if you weren't, then, you know, your family was like worshiping the devil or something. And my parents are from California and they grew up in Catholic households that really didn't resonate with them. So they kind of pendulum swung the other way. So definitely no spiritual practice or definitely nothing esoteric until I started exploring that myself. I think as I have been though, and they've been seeing all of the profound changes in my life and being able to help other people that they're slowly coming around to it though. (laughs) Wow. So then you really kind of came into this on your own. Did you have people around you aside from your family that kind of gave you ideas about what spirituality is and sort of alternative methods of healing? At the time that my spiritual awakening started, I had a partner at that time who was very spiritual and he was great about giving me books and we meditated together and things like that. Uh, We also had a lot of past life karma together. That's why I said earlier it felt more like a remembering process than anything because, you know, I believe in reincarnation. I know a lot of people in the spiritual community do, but I know I've been doing this. The more I've been able to connect with my past lives, I've done this in most of them. I've worked as a shaman in many of them or as a high priestess. So that was kind of like the spark that woke me up to who I was. And then after that, the depression didn't happen again because I was connected to where I came from and I had a purpose. So that felt really good. (laughs) So can you talk to us a little bit more about past life karma and visiting and understanding past lives and sort of the roles that we've played, the lifetimes that we've had? Because I think that a lot of people are aware of reincarnation, but don't really understand the value of beginning to look into where our soul has come from rather than just being really attached to this lifetime only, which I think is limiting, Mm -hmm. right? It keeps us thinking, okay, I have to figure out what happened here, which there's definitely things that happen within this lifetime that impact us and affect our behaviors, our beliefs. Yet some of it is, it is truly part of more and part of like our DNA of our soul and comes with us into this lifetime. So how did you kind of learn to connect with that? And what is your understanding of where you came from? Yeah, so I know a lot of people have the idea of karma being almost like a punishment reward system, and that didn't really, 
that doesn't really resonate for me because that kind of supports that idea of like a very patriarchal overbearing God that's like judging everybody harshly. For me, the best way I can describe karma is it's sort of like how they say you can study something from books, but you don't really know it. You can't really learn it until you start trying. So it's like we can have, you know, before we existed in like human bodies, before when we were just spirit, it's like it's great concepts to have wisdom and things like that, but you don't really get a chance to apply any of that until you come into the material world and you have to interact with other people with completely different values and you experience trauma here. So you actually get to apply that wisdom of instead of it just being theoretical, it's like, okay, now it's real. So it's not necessarily like a punishment system because it's not like, oh, you know, you didn't do a good job in a past life and now you're going to have a really hard life this time. It's more being able to experience the fullness of everything because that's where we came from. And ultimately, like, that's where we'll go back to. But the easiest way to pick up on past lives is honestly... It's a bit uncomfortable, but trauma, because that's something that resonates so deep for us. So like for a lot of people, when they're doing like past life regressions, um, if someone has like an irrational fear of water, even though maybe they never had an experience of not being able to swim or drowning or something like that, a lot of people in past life regressions will find out that in a past life they died of drowning. And another way is through people. And I'm sure we've all had that sort of experience of meeting someone and there's either an instant like magnetism an instant connection like we've known them for a long time or even the opposite like an instant repulsion like maybe there's no logical reason that we don't like them but we're just getting such a strong deep vibe to like stay away from this person um that's usually likely because we've had some past experience with them one way or the other What are your thoughts? Because I'd love to, because I feel like this ties into what you're just talking about. And I think this is a topic that everyone can relate to and will often express ideas about is the idea of a soulmate, Mm -hmm. specifically romantically. We all want to know about, you know, do we have a soulmate? What is it? And also the idea of a twin flame, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people hear both of those terms get thrown around and, and they don't quite understand them. I don't even fully, I get confused about the difference between a twin flame and a soulmate. So I'd love to hear your take on that. And I think, cause it also, you hear about it being tied into karma, like you just described, mm-hmm. like my, my, what I've heard generally about twin flames is that, um, it's sort of like, can be like the final step and sort of like working out some of your karmic work. Like it's the ultimate, cause it's your other half essentially is what I've heard, like your soul split in half. So it's like meeting your divine counterpart. So you're able to truly work out the things that your soul is really intending to do. Yeah, absolutely. So a soulmate, there's firstly, there's a lot of different kinds of soulmates. They're not all romantic. Some are friendships, some are business partners, some are family. But the biggest difference is that a soulmate is going to be someone who, or a relationship that supports you. So it's going to be something nurturing and fulfilling and compassionate. And not that a twin flame can't be that, but it's usually the opposite. It's usually very triggering. It can spark your evolution, your spiritual evolution and awakening in a really deep way. But since they are a mirror, like you said, sort of another part of your soul, it is going to bring up all of your shadows. And if you're able to transmute that, it can lead you to your light as well. But 
One of the biggest ego traps I find with the twin flame journey is that we meet someone who, or we're in a relationship that isn't healthy, where we have a trauma bond with somebody, uh, meaning that we both, if there's someone that has fear of abandonment and then another person is codependent, then you're helping mirror each other's trauma because it's a very enmeshed relationship instead of feeling fulfilled on your own. But basically, so if we're having a trauma bond with somebody, we can hold them on a really high pedestal if we think like, oh, this is my twin flame, like this is meant to be, this is going to work out no matter what. And ultimately that can keep us in abusive situations when that's not our path. Even if someone is our twin flame, you are not meant to be with that person right now if they're abusing you. And the only way that you two can have a harmonious relationship in the future is when you both do the work individually. And the other interesting thing too is that twin flames usually, well, they don't often incarnate at the same time. So while you may have a twin flame, it could be that they're actually showing up in your life as a spirit guide. But if you do incarnate at the same time, it takes many different uh, types of relationships. So it can be a parent-child, it can be brother-sister, it can be a platonic friendship. Um, I think we kind of jump to that romantic relationship idea of twin flame because we are looking for more of a soulmate instead, or maybe we just, like I said, are looking for a reason to stay in a relationship that's abusive if we label it as like a twin flame relationship. But ultimately, it's about the experience you gain and knowing when to step back than trying to make it work at whatever cost. Is it safe to say that you're going to have a lot in common with your twin flame? You know, you spoke of, and I've heard this as well, that it can be a brother, it can be a friend. Is it likely someone that you feel this strong kinship with? They're both interested in the same type of, you know, evolutionary journey, spirituality that you kind of resonate together on that level? Um, I think it honestly depends on how far you've both gone on your spiritual journeys already. Because like I said, this person will be a mirror for you. So if one or both people aren't comfortable with their shadow, if they haven't done shadow work or there's unresolved trauma there, then they're going to feel really triggered by the other person. If both people have spent many lifetimes handling those things, um, healing, then it could be that just because of the point they're on in their journey that they are more compatible. But ultimately, if you're looking for that kinship, that's likely more going to be like in that soulmate category unless you're very evolved. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, that's helpful insight. I think there's so many ways, different ways to, to look at those situations. And I think it is you know, confusing for a lot of people. Because as you pointed out, I think what's really dangerous is when people think that someone might be meant for them. They're their twin flame, they're their soulmate. And so they will believe that it's meant to be hard. You know, I've been there before where mm -hmm. a relationship feels every single twist and turn. It feels so challenging. And I think, well, this is because it's, it's just really meant to help us grow together and we're evolving together. But there's a difference between healthy evolving and growth between two individuals and abuse. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I've been there too. And that's honestly what got me to step away from that situation is because I was like, okay, if this person is my twin flame, then by doing the inner work, then it'll only bring us closer together. But it ended up pulling us further apart. And that was the clearest way for me to recognize either he's just so stuck in where he is that it doesn't matter if he's my twin flame or not. You know, if he was, then I imagine it would bring us closer together. So 
yeah, I totally agree. Being able to release like that label and being able to focus on like, is this serving me right now or not is so important. Definitely. Definitely. And then I know that you, you do a lot of work when you are working as a spiritual coach for your clients. Mm -hmm. You have a focus on building healthier relationships and boundaries. So boundaries is a topic I'd love to discuss because I think that's also something very challenging for people. Yes. When they're in a relationship, they finally find someone they're excited about, they really like them. It can be really difficult to figure out how do I create boundaries here when I'm mm-hmm. excited about someone where I want to be close to someone, yet I don't I want to be able to hold my own, have still have my my sense of self, still have feel intact on my own and not feel that I'm just sort of dissolving boundaries in order to accommodate or to not offend anyone. Yeah, so it's interesting because since we live in a world of duality, we'll also hear really conflicting spiritual teachings, and that can be really confusing for people, especially starting out, because you'll hear on one hand, like, you need healthy boundaries, and then someone else may be like, no, that's keeping people from true intimacy. But since I, and both are true in different ways, you can imagine someone that's had really rigid boundaries their whole life. Maybe they don't have great relationships and fear about what to do to take those boundaries down. But since I work mostly with empaths as an empath myself, and so a lot of people that struggle with codependency and really need to establish those healthy boundaries, um, I sort of describe it, my best analogy for that is how you wouldn't leave your front door open when you leave your home, right? Because we just know from experience and hopefully some wisdom that, especially if you live in a city, like someone will come in, they'll steal your stuff, they may trash the place. And that's basically what we're allowing someone to do energetically to us. So building healthy boundaries doesn't necessarily mean that you're like creating a solid wall between you and the rest of the world. It's just like being able to close that front door because now someone gets to knock on the door or ring the bell respectfully and you get to decide answering it if you let them in or not. But I describe healthy boundaries as a really important way to notice the difference between us and other people as well, especially if we do struggle with codependency or enmeshment. We can be so out of touch with our own needs and desires because we've poured so much into other people that we don't even know what we want anymore. So being able to rebuild that container, set some healthy boundaries is a really important way for people that have struggled with that to be able to figure out who they are and what they want again. What do you think are some of the key components to having healthy boundaries? Is it, you know, I know I, I think that one of them is, is being able to not never compromise your values, right? To never mm-hmm. be like, well, you know, we make these exceptions sometimes when we're excited about a new relationship or a connection with somebody. And we think, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I can, I don't really feel comfortable with this, but this seems like what they want. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of like we begin to waver. We begin to compromise and sort of posture in a way so that we can look and act in the way that we think the other person most wants us to. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, Yeah, because that's a form of self-sacrifice, right? It's like when you give up your own values for somebody else. Um, I usually start with working with people on limiting beliefs because I find for most people, again, especially empaths, but a lot of other people too, we have so much guilt around saying no and being able to work with releasing resistance around that really seems like one of the biggest pivotal changes for people. Cause like you said, if that no is a healthy boundary because 
you don't want to violate your own values, then you can see how much damage we're doing to ourselves energetically by saying yes when that doesn't feel right. Like we say yes all the time to things we don't want, whether that's showing up for other people, whether that's allowing them to treat us in a certain way, even saying yes to physical touch that we don't want. Um, There's so many different ways that we say yes just because we have so much guilt to saying no. So that's usually the first place I start with people. Wonderful. And then to kind of expand on the idea of, you know, why we, so looking at like limiting beliefs, right? And why we sort of often enter in relationships with a bit of an unstable and kind of unhealthy mindset is I think a lot has to do with a fear of being alone Mm -hmm. that people have, which stems usually from a fear of being unwanted or unworthy or unlovable. Mm -hmm. So they'll you know, they'll kind of jump at the chance to say, oh, this person has interest in me and I don't want to mess that up. So in your work, and because I know, you know, we've talked about a big reason why you pursued this work is because we notice that in general right now, most people feel a bit lost Mm -hmm. as to who they are and they feel alone. Why do you think that is with the work that you do and all the people you've, you've talked to and your own personal experience and understanding of the current state of the world? What is your thought around why we're so kind of detached and lost here. Yeah, I think the biggest reason is because we settle, because we're afraid. It's really the root is fear, but we're afraid that people won't accept us for who we really are, and that if we do say no, then no one's ever going to fill that spot. We are afraid that we won't ever find people that are able to meet us where we are or get along in the same way. Um, I also find... And it's a hard truth, but we accept the love we think we deserve. So if we, going back to limiting beliefs, if we have low self-worth or we were even told that as a child, that we weren't good enough or smart enough or pretty enough, whatever it is, then that's so ingrained into our energy field that when we meet a partner that mirrors some of those same things, then we feel like this is authentic and true, even though it's not. So... Working, having a really strong self-love practice and a healing practice in that way is so important because as we start to heal, we start to increase our own standards. And I have not found at all that there's any time that someone does this process and then doesn't ultimately find a healthier partner because we definitely live in a universe that follows the law of attraction. So as you shift and raise your frequency, you become a match to other people too. And it's that scariest part. The reason people hold on so hard, and this is the same for myself too, is because it's almost like you'd rather have something than nothing at all. And there is that really uncomfortable place where when we let go of the relationships that aren't serving us anymore, obviously a new one doesn't just appear on your front doorstep the next day. And that's the part where people have a lot of trouble and they get caught in the same cycles because they are so afraid that they don't wait and see. But that's a reason why coaching, spiritual coaching was so important for me on my journey and why I feel really passionate about offering that to other people now is because, you know, you're not alone. It's almost like an accountability system there. Um, someone has your back, someone's helping you keep your vibration high. And so when you're having those self-doubt moments, you don't fall back into those same cycles and you find that courage to, to try something new and break those cycles. What do you, what do you do when you work with clients to 
address those limiting beliefs and to, if some you're, they're looking to raise their vibrations, how do we raise their vibrations? Because let's say, you know, you're coming out of a, a, a string of unfortunate relationships mm-hmm. and you're asking yourself, why, why do I keep coming into these same relationships, the same situation? Cause just as you said, it's exactly that. If you're feeling insecure, you're doubting yourself, you're going to feel most drawn and comfortable with someone who's doing the same thing. They're mirroring you. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to feel this connection. Maybe they sort of play into the things that you're most afraid of. You know, maybe they give you just the right amount of attention about something, but they're not actually honest or, you know, well-intentioned, but you mm-hmm. still will take it because you're, you're operating from a level of wanting to have your wounds soothed a little, a little bit. Right. So let's say we want to do that healing on our own. We want to heal those wounds so that we're no longer seeking a partner that's low vibrational just because they're kind of feeding us into our own insecurities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of methods that people use, even in the spiritual community, that I call Band-Aid methods. They're more designed to try to cover up the present pain instead of getting to the root of the actual problem. So that's why I'm such a big advocate for healing the deep, triggering wounds that usually start in childhood but present those same patterns, same cycles as adults because until we address those things, we're going to continue to play those cycles out. And it's so important to have that intention as you're carrying out your spiritual practice because honestly, even a lot of the modalities I use, even the yoga and Reiki, those can be band-aid methods in a certain way if you're just going through the motions of it instead of actually trying to release, actually trying to do that inner work. So it's so important, the mindset and the intention you bring into any healing practice to actually have that courage to face whatever that initial wound is. And you don't always have to do it yourself, right? Like that's why having a mentor for myself was so important because she helped me be able to figure out what those original wounds were and Again, that's what I help other people do because it's scary to face it yourself because that's why it's so painful in the first place. We have that fear of revisiting it, but ultimately knowing that our healing and our empowerment, our confidence, whatever that highest version of yourself you see is waiting on the other side of that healing. Um, So making sure that we're actually addressing that root instead of just trying to numb out, instead of trying to cope. I always describe, so coping is really important when we're experiencing a trauma because you can't heal from a trauma as you're experiencing it. So it's actually a really healthy mechanism our brain has to cope as we're dealing with something. But most people will carry those coping mechanisms into the rest of their life, even when they're no longer encountering that trauma anymore. And that's what becomes so damaging because we're pretending that wound isn't there even though it is it's like sweeping something under the rug so coping mechanisms kind of flip at that point they become more damaging to us when we never take the time to heal from the thing that happened um so yeah and that's and that basically is the nature i would say of, of addictions that we develop is when our coping tools become these unhealthy ineffective um, addictions where we, we become so, almost so afraid mm-hmm. we are afraid of our wounds. Cause it, it 
pumps out this this fear, this sadness, these feelings that are very uncomfortable to sit with. And when we find something that you know quells them a little bit, we'll quiet down our pain. Mm-hmm. We'll, but then you become addictive because you can't handle every time it kind of keeps coming up. So to your point, until you really get to that core root of that wound to begin to heal it from the base up, we're going to keep seeking out artificial, superficial coping skills that can only, you know, are, it's exhausting to try to keep up. Exactly. Yeah. We're looking for an external fix to something that needs internal attention. Exactly. Exactly. Which, yeah, it's a nature of, of addiction. So all of the, I mean, I think these are such profound topics for every single person on this planet. Cause I think, unfortunately we are a society that well, for one, doesn't always like to address or aren't really given the message that it's okay to talk about these things, that we have this pain. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of messaging of just like push on and get over it and just keep going and let it go, forget the past, move forward. And But there's also, unfortunately, a lot of money to be made for people who create quick fixes. Yep. And it's as, and the more prolonged it is that we depend on these, the more money we're going to spend. And there's less money in healthy people who are not wounded. Absolutely. And that's a great example to you of how everything can become a band-aid method. Because if you're not looking for a solution, then it's just another thing to depend on, right? Um, So it's so important. I always, and I know you do this in your practice as well, I I describe myself as solution-oriented because it's not just like, oh, you're going to have to come here once, you know, twice a month forever. It's like, no, we're trying to get you. We set a goal and then we work to get you to that goal versus like you said, the pharmaceutical industry, all of these, they don't have that approach. They want to start collecting from the minute you're born and they want to continue collecting until the day you die and they will get as much out of you as they can. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also interesting to note that uh, unfortunately, means from the spiritual world can also be abused and can just become fixes. I think a good example is tarot. Mm-hmm. You know, I myself, am a, I discovered tarot and I absolutely love it. However, I've seen how you can kind of become dependent on it. If you start to use it just as sort of a, you're seeking, you know, an instant answer, an instant offering that you feel like you can't find on your own. I think at its nature, it's just this beautiful way to really feel like you're connecting with sort of the energies outside of you, with some of your your spirits, some of the guides that are with you. If you take the time to slowly engage with it and read it and and see, because I think the power of tarot is is the reading of it. It's mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, well, how, how am I interpreting it this way? And what's, what is it eliciting for me that I might not have thought of if I hadn't engaged with this? However, it can be used as, again, a coping skill where it's like, okay, I can't figure this out, so I'm going to consult the tarot and kind of rely on tarot. Yeah, absolutely. I find that with people that already struggle with decision-making, they definitely try to use tarot to make their decisions for them. And it's funny Mm -hmm. because I'll get a lot of people asking about, like, exactly that. They're trying to do a session to help make their choice, which there's nothing wrong with that inherently. But it's funny because a lot of times... The way I do tarot for future energy is I'll look at, so if someone's like, should I move or not? Then I'll look at what is the future energy if they do move or what is the future energy if they stay at home? And sometimes it's really clear, but honestly, most of the time it's a mixed bag of both have their positives and both have their negatives, which 
honestly, that's kind of what you'd expect it to be. But for those people that are trying to use it again for that decision-making process, they get really uncomfortable because there's that fear of like, oh, I don't want to experience anything bad. Like people that fear making decisions, it's like they're so afraid of experiencing pain or what because there really is no wrong choice like everything is a learning experience and if we do find ourselves in a situation that isn't right like we have the power to change it so I totally agree it can be another form of addiction it definitely needs to be used in the right way and that's why they recommend to not do more than one tarot reading for yourself a week just because you don't want to become dependent on any external thing. But I think that's true. I mean, just to go completely extreme, I know you and I have chatted before about um, like cult leaders and things like that. I know a lot of people do have that fear of like, oh, even in the spiritual community, like bad people exist. It's like, yeah, it's like (laughs) people are human, but the best way I've been able to explain that to people, it's like we have doctors that do malpractice as well. And it's like we have if we do go see a doctor, it's like we use our discernment. Like, does this person make me feel good? Do I get weird, creepy vibes from them? And if you get weird, creepy vibes, obviously you'd go to someone else. It's the same in the spiritual community. It's like not shutting off that intuition just because someone labels themselves spiritual, being able to stay in touch with your intuition and know if this person feels right or not to you. Yeah. And that's why being connected with your intuition is, is so important. And, and it's, it is very empowering because then you do learn that you, you have all the answers, mm-hmm. which is what we know. And, and, you know, you and I know as practitioners, as healers, you know, when we work with the client, we're never there to tell them the answer right. because only they can ever discover the answer. It's always within, it will always come from them. But, you know, I, myself as a therapist, he is just sort of offering, holding space to sort of open up, see if I can help that person open up their own channel to connect with and trust themselves. And I think the biggest part is getting them to that place of trusting and believing that they even have that ability. Because I think most people do not think that they have that. They think, oh, I have to seek it out from someone else because I don't have these gifts. I don't have this insight. I'm just lost. I'm confused. I'm relying on others. I'm codependent. Mm -hmm. Yet when we work with people, it almost feels kind of like helping them landscape, kind of like get pull out some of the weeds and things surrounding them that keep them feeling separate from what's innately within them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like so many people in our culture are so stuck in their heads because we have all those systems of like, oh, you have to. There's just so many have tos in our culture, honestly. So it's not surprising people are so stuck in their heads, but that's why it's so useful to be able to have that safe space to talk it out with somebody and Because a lot of people, if they don't have healthy relationships or supportive friendships or family members or things like that, there is just this inner monologue that has been at war (laughs) going on for years or decades. And it's just like a tangled ball of yarn. And it can be so overwhelming and challenging to try to unweave that mess. But it's so chaotic that, like you said, people don't feel like they even have the ability. But they do. We all do. So I, I totally agree. It's about being able to get people to that place where they realize their empowerment so that we don't become one more thing for them to feel like they need to depend on. Yeah. And Mia, can you share a little bit about Reiki? I've had quite a few Reiki practitioners, but I don't think anyone's really gotten into the actual 
work of Reiki because it just reminds me of this because I actually, I remember the first time I ever did Reiki, I went into sort of, you know, like you do in sort of like an almost like hypnotic Mm -hmm. state. And I had this visual of, of someone doing like energetic landscaping. Like I could just see like, it was like all these things, these like dark things being cleared away out of like my you know, my aura, my surrounding. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of thing makes me think that it's Reiki is effective and starting to help you clear out some of the stuff that keeps you feeling disconnected from yourself, from trusting yourself, from your own healthy energy. So how would you describe the work that you do with clients when you do Reiki? What are you actually, and I think on your website, you actually describe it, what Reiki is like an auric. An, uh, A massage for your aura. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And Speaking of auras, we actually had our aura pictures taken yesterday. Yeah. I just have to share that with everyone because people have probably heard of getting your aura picture taken. And I would say that we both really enjoyed it. It was yeah. pretty cool. It was really cool for sure. Because <laughs> yeah. you always wonder, you know, because it's like, again, that's like giving trust to someone else. It's like people can tell you what your aura looks like, but unless you can see yourself, then it's always kind of interesting. And even if you think you can, then there's that element of, okay, is this a projection or not? So it was really cool being able to have the photos and see like what our auras actually looked like. (laughs) Yeah. And yours was really cool because I had done a reading for you the night before and you got a lot of pentacle energy. So Mm -hmm. that's the grounding earth energy. And then your aura was this like beautiful, deep, green and like reddish orange Mm -hmm. so very earth like yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and mine was like cotton candy (laughs) it was like light purple and blue and white which was fun (laughs) kind of like a unicorn yeah so then can you say what when you're giving that aura massage what are you doing what are you what's happening in that person's energy field when you do reiki yeah so i've studied the traditional way of doing reiki um which is like the japanese school of reiki but or school of thought there. Um, but since I do so many shamanic practices, they're honestly kind of like interwoven at this point. So traditionally, you kind of stick to certain areas of the body or there's a certain workflow to go through, working with the chakras and things like that. And I definitely work with all the chakras, um, but it's a much more intuitive process. Um, like the first thing that came to mind for that is... Uh, I had a friend come to me for a session and I went to go send her the Reiki energy, which Reiki is just translated as universal life force. But I felt like I felt her soul just wanting the biggest hug. And so I just sent her the biggest energetic hug possible. Um, And she said that that was exactly what she needed after. So it's just it's very much like being open to what the client actually needs Uh, Because, again, if I'd stuck to just, like, the traditional method for that, I'm sure she would have felt the energy in her body a bit, but that wasn't what her soul was actually asking for. Um, So I definitely work with the chakras, but I definitely work a lot with the aura as well. Like you said, there's so many things hanging in our auras. Our Our auras can also be, like, frayed or spliced in certain places, too. Um, So... Definitely clearing out any energies that don't belong to you. That can also take the form of words and beliefs we've internalized from other people. So if you deal with a lot of self-criticism, like sometimes that energy is actually from other people too. Like if you've been criticized a lot, then you start to take that on yourself. So yeah, it's just, it's a very intuitive process based on what people need. If they're feeling really stressed or overwhelmed, it's usually more of like a grounding practice If they're looking for inspiration or feeling disempowered, then that's a bit more about lifting them up and then connecting them to their highest self or their spirit guides. 
It's kind of like an open book, pretty much. It's like there's the rules, and then what actually happens can sometimes be much different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing about that. And then another thing I'm curious about is plant medicine. So you don't do this with your work, I don't believe, but you have had your own personal plant medicine journeys. And I'm curious about that because there's just so much talk about it now. Mm -hmm. A lot of more people, especially in the therapy psych world, is psychedelics and plant medicine to help people to alleviate depression, address trauma. And there's huge breakthroughs. People are seeing it as very effective, but there's a lot of concern. And you know, we're talking earlier about using things as a means that sort of like a band-aid. What is your thoughts about plant medicine? And do you see it as a really an effective tool that goes deep and helps to heal the wound and gives as kind of like revelations as far as breaking through from this? Or do you see it as something that can be sort of detached from actual healing? Yeah, I've definitely really been, I've had a lot of benefit from using plant medicine in my own practice. I haven't offered that as a modality for other people yet, but it's definitely had some very deep, introspective, profound experiences for me. Um, I work with plants a lot. So even just as far as herbs and teas and things like that for medicinal purposes. So it's kind of like a natural transition for myself to explore other sorts of plant medicines as well. Um, And some of them are psychoactive. Some of them aren't. They all have different purposes. They all have different functions. One of the biggest things to understand when working with plant medicine is that each plant itself has a spirit. So the same way different animals have spirits, the same way different people have spirits, each of the plants have a spirit. So it's really important to engage with these plants in a sacred way. So not just like the first thing that comes to mind is like weed is a can be a sort of plant medicine, but it's definitely abused in our culture, how it's used now. Um, So that would be an example of what not to do. But a lot of these things, or like shrooms even, or LSD, people will just take those because, again, like we were talking about before, that can be like a form of coping mechanism and they can have a really bad trip. But it's because their intentions and their interaction with the plant spirit... um, weren't from a healthy place. So before working with any plant medicine, I always try to connect to the plant spirit first. And if you're new and you're like, I don't know what that means, then you can even just like verbalize, like, thank you for what you're offering me. Um, you know, love and gratitude are obviously the, the vibes that keep this whole universe going. So just expressing some of that love and gratitude to the spirit you're going to be working with is important. So like I said, I've worked with non-psychoactive plant medicines all the way to ayahuasca, which as far as I know, and I think most people would say is probably the most psychoactive and intense one. Can you tell us about your experience on ayahuasca? Because I think people are really curious about it. Because again, we keep, we hear about it a lot. It's talked about more openly. And I, for one here, it's, it's, you know, you hear about stuff like mushrooms being, it can go bad, but for the most part, it seems like it really elevates you. It, it's really, it can be really insightful and exciting, although sometimes scary. But ayahuasca, I've heard it can get really dark because you're kind of, it sounds a lot more like work from yes. what I've heard. It's like you're, it's not necessarily going to be fun. It's going to be very challenging and you're going to experience and, and think about and consider and see some things you might not want to see. But most people say it's worth it because it takes you to somewhere that, again, it's kind of getting down to like the kind of the gunk and grunge that we're holding within us that we don't want to see that we may not be aware of. 
Yes, absolutely. Ayahuasca is associated with purging, both physically and energetically. So it's definitely one that you're trying to... uh, I heard someone describe it as 10 years of therapy in one night, which um, that definitely resonates for me. But an important thing to know with ayahuasca, well, a couple, but the first being that your experience is going to be completely different depending on where and who you do it with. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to have a proper experienced shaman, ideally in Peru if you can, because that's where the medicine is from. And just having the experience of doing it in different places, I I cannot speak how much more, I don't even know the word, not even transformational. It was just such a deeper connection and interaction. It was mind-blowing, honestly. It was like such a crazy experience that I couldn't imagine doing it anywhere else. So the shaman is so important because they're creating that safe container to explore all of those things that come up for you. And the experienced ones, the really good ones, they'll even be able to tap into your journey and see what you're seeing. So usually it's pretty obvious to tell if someone's like going through it. So they'll usually be over there helping whoever's having a hard time. But it just adds another layer to the healing that takes place when they're able to actually tap in and see the journey that you're on and know what you're going through specifically. The other important thing to know about ayahuasca is that each experience is different. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a spirit in of itself. So she really will do whatever you need at that time. So I've had one journey that was very ecstatic. It was very blissful. And then I've had others that were much more challenging and it just depends what you need in your life at that point say definitely the mindset you bring into it is important as well like there's usually a diet to follow for two weeks and the more you prepare physically and mentally the more that you will see that reflected in the journey so if you take time to already attempt to do that inner work beforehand then you'll be able to have a more a softer journey I'll put it that way (laughs) But if you've just had decades of that gunk built up, then it's going to be challenging, but you're going to come out of it a different person. Another interesting thing about ayahuasca, the best way I've heard it described, is that it works on three levels. It either works on the physical level, the mental level, or the spiritual level. So if you don't really leave a healthy lifestyle if you eat a lot of junk food or you smoke a lot of cigarettes or you drink a lot then it's mostly going to work on the physical level and that's when people experience the purging the vomiting things like that if your body is pretty clean um i typically don't purge because i i'm a vegan and i i'm plant-based so then it goes to the next level which is that mental level And this is where it does a lot of psychological work. So again, this is where it can stir up like the childhood trauma. Um, You know, a lot of people have trauma even as an adult as well. So any of that stuff, that comes up next. And it helps you work through that. And that's also can be really challenging for people too. But if you've also been doing a lot of mindset work, then you get to the spiritual level. And this is the point where a lot of people talk about or will hear about seeing aliens or travel, you know, to other dimensions and things like that. And that's 
really cool. <laughs> have you have you had an experience like that? Yeah, for sure. I think each time I've done it, I've had that. Actually, that's not true. The first time it worked for me mostly on the mental level. Um, that was when I was waking up and I had a lot I was going through and it helps me release a lot of those things. The times after that, I really had dedicated to that the mental health and it definitely opened me up to experience the ayahuasca on the spiritual level and that was incredible. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, you know, for someone, I'm pretty reluctant to try any psychedelics or anything. I mean, for when I'm sober and I, I still think that people, it's everyone's own choice whether or not, because that's, to me, it's not, doesn't have to be anything related to really like a drug use. It's mm-hmm. more of a spiritual experience, I believe. Yet it's, you know, it can be intimidating to know that you're entering something that you have no control over. So I guess that ties into control issues, but yes. you know, you don't know where it's going to take you and you really just have to surrender to the experience. Yes. For ayahuasca, you have zero control and that is the hardest thing for most people. So if you've already been through a dark night of the soul or had an ego death, then it's going to be much easier for you. But for a lot of people, that's their first time experiencing an ego death and that the more you resist, the harder it is. (laughs) Can you tell us a little more about your journey into other universes and cosmos? And could you share if, because you and I have had talks about the concept of star seeds and feeling like our origins are not of this planet and that we come elsewhere. What are your thoughts about that? And when did you first get that sense? Because as I've gotten to know, you have a pretty strong sense of both your ancestral ties, but then also like your, you know, your cosmic ties from where you're really originating from. Yeah. And like I said, the ayahuasca will do what you need at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and there's also that limit of language, right? Because I feel like a lot of the things I experience are really hard to translate into words. It's pretty common for it to walk you through your past lives, um, even maybe not yours, but maybe someone in your family, if that's relevant somehow. Yeah, I don't even know quite how to describe it. That doesn't sound completely crazy, but I that's feel okay. like... That's <laughs> okay. sound crazy. I feel that's like uh, on this last one, I like zoomed out so far. Like it's really... A lot of people in meditation, they can reach that place that feels outside of time. Mm-hmm. But with the ayahuasca, you don't really have to try it. Like it just kind of takes you there. Again, assuming you're able to like lean into that ego death and things like that. But once you do, then you're completely outside of time. So you're able to kind of, I won't say that you're able to guide your journey because like I said, you have no control with ayahuasca, but depending on what you're an energetic match to, again, like what your frequency is, that's the sort of things you'll experience. So you can experience like your starseed origins for sure. Um, I had the experience this last time where... I've already visited some very old lifetimes. Like, I always joke that I feel like I'm 9,000 in the body of, like, a young adult. Uh, You look great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But this time, I connected to a time and a family that felt... It didn't feel like it was. It was before matter existed. It was... It was before even light. It was like that that void, that pure potential, that like soup of cosmic energy before anything even happened yet. And that was such, like I felt it so deeply in my soul that it was honestly, that was a bit hard to come out of because that was 
the most anything. Like, the word home doesn't even do it justice, really. But that's why it's so important, the integration process after any medicine, any plant medicine. Because some people, and again, with the proper shaman, they'll, like, guide you through this, but... A lot of people just want to have, like, a crazy psychedelic experience. And if you do that, then you're really at a disservice to yourself because it's really important for whatever you saw or experienced in your journey to integrate that. So if it showed you places in your life that need adjusting, then it's on you at that point to actually make those adjustments. So... It's really important to be able to have that integration process, and that also keeps us to, you didn't, you didn't quite say it, but I know that's uh, a big thing for a lot of people who have suffered with addictions, is that hesitancy, understandably so, of trying psychedelics or plant medicine because they don't want to become addicted to it. But from what I've, from what I've heard, and I say it that way because like I've, I've definitely been addicted to alcohol before, but I can't say I've been like addicted to, to drugs or things like that. But from what I've heard, it actually can change with the right mindset. It can change people's experience with that because they're engaging with it in a sacred way, not in that abusive way. It can really help people understand what the proper use of psychedelics is. And the integration process, depending on how deep it goes, can take a long time. It can take weeks, months, years. So you feel pretty much like your agenda is full working on all that thing, all those things. You don't necessarily feel like, oh, I need to go do it again next weekend. Like that, I couldn't really see that happening um, just because so much happens. There's so much to process. Like your brain takes a while to process everything. Um, so that can definitely be a healing experience for people that struggle with addictions and things like that. Yeah, that's got to be challenging. And I've heard that from everyone that that coming back and that integrating is overwhelming. And how could it not be? You know, you're, you're reaching places and emotions that are, you know, ancient and, and of, you know, other lineages past beyond this life and ancestral and all of that and stuff that we don't <laughs> experience in our day-to-day life. And then you come back to normal life and it must feel a little... I mean, for one, it must, I mean, to your point, when you feel connected to that primordial sense of, you know, matter, that feeling of beyond home, like your true self to come back to this place, because on earth, we don't really feel very connected to much, Mm -hmm. not to ourselves, not to a sense of self, not to a sense of belonging or home. Uh, It it all feels a, a lot of more questioning than actually feeling of being somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why it's here. I won't say that there's like a specific point on your journey that plant medicine is useful for, because I think it's useful in different ways at different points. But for people that are unsure if there's something greater, like if someone that feels like they're an atheist or someone, not that there's anything wrong with that, but or someone that feels like there is something more, but they don't know what that is or they're unsure... Because honestly, a lot of us fear that sort of thing not being real, right? That's like the ultimate primal human fear is like that we're all alone in the universe. So for those people, the psychedelics can be very expansive because it's like you can't go through that experience and be like, yeah, I'm all alone. Because you see all the ways you're not. You connect with source. You connect with whoever it is, if it's your guides, 
if it's yourself, your highest self, you tap into that and you realize how much more there is. And that can be really inspiring and relieving and be the medicine people need at that time. Um, But that's why it's so important not to just do it just because you want to have a psychedelic experience because then it can send you, it can do more harm than good by showing you things you may not have needed to see yet or Mm. things like that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask for you to share with the audience because you and I have talked about this, but I'd love for you to share your perspective because it's a, it's a good question in general for everyone to ask themselves. But considering that you're about 9,000 years old <laughs> and you visit like primordial places of essence on your travels, why do you think you're on this planet at this time? Yeah, I've struggled. I have had a lot of hard conversations with my guides about that. <laughs> Um, I don't think I, are you sure I signed up for this? <laughs> yeah. And I know I did. Like, I know yeah. I did. Cause that's just, we ultimately all have free will and it's like, we all chose to believe it or not, you know, you can believe what you want, but we all chose to incarnate each time. And on a personal level, I know I'm here clearing up a lot of ancestral trauma for my lineage. Um, I also know that some of the hardest things we experience is a catalyst for our biggest our biggest opportunities for transformation. And that honestly kind of fits my MO anyways. When I do things, I do it big. So I could definitely see how, you know, before coming into this lifetime, I was like, I'm going to get a lot of work done. But on a bigger scale, I've gotten the message a lot, even though I, I'm working through some imposter syndrome on the topic of helping to birth the new world and a lot of us we all feel the same way it's like we see all these things that aren't working we're all in so much pain because of on a personal level these systems that aren't working I know I personally feel the earth's pain and all the ways that we are not working for her and we've been taught to cope we've been taught to suppress and it's only by acknowledging and waking up to how painful these things are, are we going to be able to make it better? One of my, I forget who said it, I should know, but it's an excellent quote that it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. And I really feel that. Mm. So, you know, a lot of my family, a lot of my old friends, they don't quite understand why I am so passionate about being able to experience nature in a deep way to help the planet, help the animals do everything I can. Um, Cause to them it feels like, you know, what can one person do? But it's true. What can one person do? But all I can do is do my part in that. And I have also been told by my guides that, you know, I don't know everything yet. So, <laughs> and that's true for everybody. We all, we only know little bits and pieces along our ways. So I do feel like I have a part to play, as we all do, in helping this new world birth and heal. I've, I've honestly described what we're going through now as birthing pains, right? Like anyone that's had a child or has seen a woman give birth knows that that's as uncomfortable a process as possible. That's what we're going through now. It's like we're feeling those birthing pains. But I ultimately do have a lot of hope just because so many people are waking up in record time. Like, I'll be talking to random people now on the same topics of spirituality, of healing, all of these things, inner child work, 
it's becoming more and more just like the regular conversation. So I do have faith that even though none of us really knows how everything's going to play out large scale, that we all are here to help bring that new phase, that new world that a lot of us have been aching for. Yeah. There's definitely something stirring in everybody. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, which is exciting, but also scary. Yep. Just like giving birth. Yeah. You can't wait. You're excited, but dang, it's scary. It's painful. It's alarming. <laughs> and speaking of, you know, moving into that place of being one that's bringing about the new earth and helping animals, helping people, working with healing, you are making a, a big change soon. You're making a big move to someplace you felt called to, to do that work. Yes. Who would you like to share? Yes. I am going to be moving to Costa Rica next year, and it's something that I wanted to do very strongly for a while. There were a couple of points where I thought it was going to happen, and then it didn't, and then COVID happened. And now it's at that point where I'm sure everybody feels the same way, where we can't wait for COVID to be over, because who knows about that one? So at a certain point, we just have to do what we want to do. And for me... The first time I went to Costa Rica was before I was had even like stepped on my spiritual journey. But even there, I could like picture myself like old and retired, like just living there. And it was such a weird thing just because I was pretty young and like the idea of like being an older woman, like chilling anywhere is kind of strange. But <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, yeah, I can see doing this. And every time I've been back since then, I've had... A really intense spiritual awakening because it's like you know how you have your first spiritual awakening and you're like that was it like I'm I'm woke and then you have another one and another one and then you're like oh this is like a process that goes on forever um so that's what Costa Rica is for me um at like the energetic level it's the place where I'm able to tap into my transformation but also they I really believe that Costa Rica is going to be the sustainability model for the rest of the world to follow. It is like the definition of abundance. I heard someone describe it as a place where you throw a seed out the window and it becomes a tree the next week. And it's so true. It's like there's fruit dripping everywhere. It's like the most concentrated wildlife everywhere. Like you see monkeys and baby monkeys, like all on these cocoa trees. It's just like, it's so beautiful to see the abundance everywhere. Um, in the rainforest, on the beach. And one of the most interesting things for me is that it wasn't always like that there. Like, they were the same as the rest of us. They cut down their jungle. They cut down their rainforest for money. And for whatever reason, they decided, we can't continue this. Like, we care about our land too much to allow this to continue. So they actually replanted the trees and rebuilt their rainforest and their jungle and it's even healthier today than it was before and I mean they follow a lot of holistic healing medicines and things down there too but honestly just like for me it's like the land itself that energy itself is what I think the whole world needs to embrace of being able to be honest about like I said what's not working and start looking at what is absolutely well, I'm so excited for you for that journey, and I can't wait to come visit you yes. in Costa Rica and experience that, especially when you talk about fruit dripping from the trees. I mean, sign me up. It truly is. Like, it's it's <laughs> common there for every restaurant to have a little garden out back. Oh, my gosh. That you can just pick from? You can just... No, that they use to, oh, like, for- make the food in the restaurant. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How amazing. Yeah, it's very abundant. 
Wow. Well, Mia, this has been such a delightful conversation to have right in person with you. Yes, that is an extra special treat. (laughs) It is, indeed. And one thing we didn't touch on is that you're also an amazing photographer, and that's something people can check out on your website, on Instagram. They can learn more about you and all the incredible things you do. Yeah, that was what my full-time job was before I became a healer. So I still do some photography, but it definitely has a more, as you can imagine, spiritual focus now. Like I photograph the stars and I photograph different vortex sites like Sedona and Joshua Tree and, you know, the sacred places in Peru. So it's definitely changed a bit over the years. But yes, I do have quite an extensive photography practice as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like, People are going to want to reach out to you because, me, I feel like you're a wonderful place for anyone who is, I would say, spiritual or sort of awakening curious. Mm-hmm. You know, because at one point you talked about when you get people get this stirring and they start getting these questions, but they feel like maybe their most of their friends don't understand or maybe they can't go to their family with this. Yeah. And they're looking for somewhere safe to ask someone, hey, I'm starting to have thoughts about this or feel that, have these feelings or this intuition about something and I don't know where to go with it. And sometimes it's nice to just talk to somebody who's been there and who Mm -hmm. kind of understands it thoroughly as you do. So for those who would like to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so my website is Souls Purpose with Mia, which is uh, all those words smushed together. (laughs) But you can also get a hold of me by email, which is my name, Mia, M-I-A dot Yakel, Y-A-K-E-L, at gmail.com but pretty much from the website you can see everything else so I have my Instagram accounts linked on there I have my Facebook group which is a building community of other people just like you described of everyone sort of feeling like a black sheep and no Mm. one understands them so it's a really nice safe space for people to be able to explore topics that they may not feel comfortable doing in other areas of their life And yeah, lots of ways to get a hold of me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mia. And I think I can say collectively, we're all so excited for you and this journey you're taking to Costa Rica. And I hope that we can document it. You can document it and we can follow along and see all your beautiful pictures and the phenomenal experience you're going to have. Thank you so much. Yes, I am so excited to have connected with you. And this is a really exciting opportunity. So thank you, Whitney. (laughs) Thank you, Mia, for letting me be a guest in your home as well. All right. Have a great day. Take care. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.